know, I work with kids and teenagers, so I think they're the funniest human beings in the world. We had a little boy tell me a couple, couple months back, he's like, I'm gonna grow up and be, I'm gonna be an army man. I said, you're gonna be an army man? I said, what, what are you gonna do as an army man? He said, I'm gonna get all the bad guys and I'm gonna put them in timeout. <laughs> I said, oh, do you ever get put in timeout? Every day. I said, okay, so what, what are you going to do with him in timeout? He goes, well, I'm going to put all the bad guys in. And I asked him if he was a bad guy. And he said, no, he just got put in timeout. And I said, what are you going to do with him in timeout? He goes, I'm going to tell him about Jesus. So when they get out of timeout, they're a good guy. I said, I think you're on to something, buddy. That's the way we need to do it, probably. I love it. I love it. So I am so excited to get to be with you today. Pastor Randy and Pastor Darla, they are in Tennessee. If you didn't know this, we have a, a church campus in Tennessee that is part of us every week, and they're there live with them. Um, it's a lot colder there than it is here. I'm sure they're loving that, but they, uh, the Frankoviches also do barbecue, so like, now that's the way to do church, right? Barbecue and Jesus, I like that. I think they're on to something. But it, Pastor Andy told me that this was my week, and I was just honored to get to be with you. If you've ever um, heard me share, I always talk about the fact that I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of them are useless information. Um, I can't tell you how to do algebra, but I can tell you about a lot of things that won't do anything in your life. So um, I, I have recently, I have been really studying a lot about God's timing. And I came across this podcast that I thought was very interesting. And it was all about Colonel Sanders. His, his name is actually Harlan Sanders. And I found out they're, they're going to be coming out with a movie about KFC. I'm like, I like fried chicken, but I don't see myself running out to watch that movie, but maybe, you know. But this, this documentary, that, or this, yeah, this podcast documentary thing that I was listening to was super interesting because there was a lot of information, but what stuck out to me was that this guy had a hard life, lost his dad, yada, yada, and right in the middle of the Great Depression, started selling fried chicken at a roadside stand. What made it work, this, the guy that I was listening to, what made it work was because during that time, women had to go to work. And for so long, it, whether they were at work or not, families still sat and ate dinner together. So if mama was at work, she couldn't cook dinner, so it was easy for them to grab chicken and take home because families were still going to eat together. And the, the guy talking said it was all about the timing. Now, he did not, that was in 1930. It was 1952 that he opened his first KFC franchise. And what I thought was interesting was he said, if he would have opened it before 1930, it wouldn't have worked. Because nobody makes fried chicken like mama. So you're not gonna go buy fried chicken from a guy on the side of the road. You're not gonna do it and bring it home and mama be okay with that. How about that? And then... And if mama can't make fried chicken, grandma steps in and teaches mama. Like during that day and time, that's the way it worked. If they would have decided to wait later to open KFC, it also wouldn't have worked. I mean, I was thinking about that. Imagine if they opened it today, it would bomb because everybody would say, was it gluten-free? Is it free-range chicken? Is it tofu chicken? I'm like, what is that? Do you have other options? Is it grilled? It's called fried chicken. No, it's not, it's, it's fried. Like, it would not go as well as it did when it did. And the reason that it worked was not just that he had these special herbs that he put in and his secret recipe. It was the timing because the nation was in a position where they needed more than a hamburger and families still ate together, but they wanted an option that allowed that. And I, and I just thought about that. And I don't know about you, but when I hear things like that, I always look back at myself and go, like in this, in this situation, where has timing been on and where has timing been off in my life? And I thought about this story. This is not anything profound. It's just silly, but I'm gonna share it with you. When I was a little kid, now if you are ever on this property during the week, anywhere on this property, there's a chance you're gonna hear somebody scream. And that's because everybody over there in my world hide and jump out at each other. And I see him in here, and the whole thing started with Joe's wall. He, he would hide, and the best thing about Joe, and I'm going I'm to let you guys in on a little secret, he's good at scaring you, but he scares himself in the process, and that is the funniest thing to me. But so he has taught people to hide and scare me, and I get so scared so easy. I like to do the scaring. I don't like to be the one scared. And um, so... 
this all started, it's like, you know, this, I, I get what I get because it started when I was a kid. My dad was afraid to scare my mom, I think, but he would get us to do it. <laughs> and I remember one time he told me to go hide in the, in the vacuum closet. Y'all know what a vacuum closet is? Okay, apparently it's not a thing for everybody, but we, it's the front cloak, coat closet. But that's where we stored our vacuum because we didn't have a lot of coats. That's where your vacuum went. And I'm, mar- I'm a grown woman married to Phil. And I said something about the vacuum closet. And he looked at me and goes, we have one of those? I was like, yeah, do you not have one of those in Ohio? And he's like, we, what is a vacuum closet? And I told him, it's where the vacuum's at. He goes, oh, that's a coat closet. I'm like, do we have coats? We don't. That's where the vacuum goes. So anyway, I was a kid. My mom had just pulled the vacuum out and she was going to vacuum. And my dad said, hey, Amber, go hide in the vacuum closet. And when your mom comes back to put the vacuum out, scare her. I'm like, okay. Now, my timing in that moment, I should have waited a little bit because she had the whole house she was going to vacuum. And but I want to give you guys a picture of what was hiding in the closet. You need to see this. Can you all throw that picture up there? That. I didn't have teeth. That is terrifying. That little thing coming out saying, Rawr will scare you, right? You're like, oh, no, that, that, there's nothing all about that. I don't know. Um, so you can take it off and y'all don't ever have to look at that again. Um, but I was hiding in the closet and I remember, you can take it, there you go, get it gone. There we go. It's gonna... We got jokes this morning. <laughs> so I'm sitting in this closet and I remember thinking, in my mind, how I was going to scare her. And it was going to be the most epic roar, you know? And I got so tired because it was warm in there. And this closet was like long and skinny. And I'm just back there. And I'm, I, I remember like dozing off and going, no, 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 I can't go to sleep. I can't go to sleep. And then like, I got bored. I like, this is dumb. Why am I in here? And I remember even at five years old thinking, My dad just didn't want to mess with me. He made me come get in the closet. (laughs) But I was already in too far. And so I remember the moment. Y'all remember those old vacuums when you'd go wrap that cord? You know what I'm talking about? I heard that sound and I was like, this is my moment. This is going to happen. And I had myself all worked up, but it was time. And I knew it was time because I was sitting in a quiet, dark closet waiting for forever. My mom opens the closet door. It's just a little door. There's my mom and the vacuum. And I think I was so, (laughs) I was so worked up. I didn't have a, I just go, hi, like that. (laughs) That toothless little fuzzy head girl said, hi. And my mom just goes, and she screamed. And I had, I had to make a split second decision. Do I stay and die? Or do I find a way out of here? So I pushed over the vacuum, took off running, and I'm running through the den. Y'all remember dens? Because you didn't use your living room. It was just a place that mom put furniture that nobody could touch. And (laughs) running through the den, my dad is like hanging off the side of his recliner, cracking up. He put me up to this. We were supposed to be a team. He's not saving me. She's right behind me. I'm like, this is how it ends. This is awful. And I'm running as fast as I can. I get into my room and my bed was pushed up against the wall. I slid under my bed and got into the very back far corner because I knew she couldn't get there. And she comes in and she says, come out. And I said, no. And she's like, you better come out of there. And I'm thinking, I will die here before I come out of here and she kills me. I'll just lay here and die. And it was so funny because it wasn't until like she finally got tired of being in my room, I guess, and left. And I laid, I was under the bed and I was cracking myself up that she, I got her. I didn't get her the way I wanted to get her. But me just saying, hi, scared scared her so bad. I called her, um, last week and I said, hey, do you remember this story? She said, your dad put you girls up to that all the time. Y'all scared me so much. I'm surprised I didn't die of a heart attack. I was like, but you remember? She's like, oh, I remember. I remember. And it was so amazing that I'm listening to all this profound stuff about timing and my, my head goes back to a dumb story in the closet with a vacuum that I'm like, oh, but that, it was so important because I knew if I would have fallen asleep or if I would have left, I would have missed this epic scare moment timing. Now, I'm not saying everybody should go home and scare each other. Actually, yes, do. It's fun. Okay. (laughs) 
Try it out. Um, but as I've been studying about God's timing, and I've been looking at the way that it plays out in Scripture, there's a particular story that I want to camp on today. We're not going to be all over the Bible. We're going to stay in one place. But I want to give you a little backstory. Moses has died, and Joshua is now in control. Now, Moses has led the Israelites, God's people, through the desert, the wilderness, for 40 years. And now that Joshua's in the seat, there's a point that God's like, here's what we're going to do. If you have your Bibles, jump to Joshua chapter 6. We're going to camp in verses 1 through 16 today. If you don't have your Bibles, I want to encourage you, bring your Bibles with you to church. Because you don't know if what I'm saying is true. You're like, are you that kind of person? No, but you should have your Bibles. You need to see this for yourself. So Joshua chapter six, we're gonna look at the first five verses. It says, now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in, but the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king and all the strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to mar march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So Jericho was securely kept. It was locked and loaded, nobody's coming in, nobody's going out, and they were very aware of Israel. Jericho was on high alert. They knew what was happening, and I'm gonna tell you from a human perspective, I think that this would be hard, if not an impossible battle. Because God is telling them, you're gonna go and march during the daytime around this city. Making them completely open for the people in Jericho to take them out. He's given them specific instructions that are not ordinary. It's different, it's out of ordinary, but God knows what God knows. And I wanna tell you something. You only know what you know and you don't know everything and you don't know what you don't know or you would know it, but God knows everything. <laughs> Say that again five times, right? So here you've got, they're in this situation and it's an impossible battle yet, yet. From God's perspective, it was completely possible because it was already over. If you go back and look at that scripture, it says, I have given you Jericho, its king and all its strong warriors. It was done. He didn't say, hey, when you do what I tell you to do, I'm gonna give you something. He said, I have given it to you. It's already yours. It's for the taking. Let me paint a picture for you guys that will help you understand. When you tell your children, there's hot chocolate chip cookies on the counter. You may have one. They don't go to the other parent. Can I have a cookie? You already said yes. They will plow through anything in its way to get to that cookie. It's for the taking. You already said yes. You already gave it to them. They just had to go get it. That's the situation we have here. God has said, Jericho is yours. I'm gonna not only give it to you, I'm gonna tell you how to get it, what to do, how to operate. Now, the real task before them, the Canaanites. They're inside Jericho. We gotta get the Canaanites out of the way. And if Israel could defeat Jericho, they could defeat any other enemy facing them in Canaan. So it's really interesting to me that Israel faced their most difficult opponent first. See, I think sometimes we think that, well, Someday I'm gonna to get to fight that battle, but I gotta fight this battle first. We don't always get to decide what battles come our way, but we have to be positioned and ready to do whatever it is that God is calling us to. The method of warfare on this, in this situation made zero sense. Made zero sense according to military intelligence. It required total dependence on God. You're gonna go with no weapons, but some trumpets, and the priests and the Ark of the Covenant, and you're gonna march around this building. This is what you're gonna do. This made no sense. It required great faith from Joshua because he had to explain and lead a nation in this plan. I'm sure, the Bible doesn't say, but I'm sure Joshua's probably like, could we do a different thing first? Like, this is my first act in office. Like, what? 
Can we try something a little, I gotta win these people before you have me doing some weird marching stuff. Like what is going on? And it required great faith from the elders of the nation because they had to follow Joshua in this plan. Remember, 40 years they had been wondering. And it's easy to go, well, at least they were excited to have forward motion. But it's also easy to go, forward motion sounds crazy. Maybe we should wonder a little bit longer. Maybe we should stay, this is what is going on. But it took all these people trusting, and here's what I want you to get. And I hope that while we're learning this today, you're not learning a story about Joshua. You're learning a story about Joshua that applies to your story today. God could have defeated the Canaanites without Joshua. They could have rolled up on the scene and they'd have all been gone. But he wanted to use Joshua. He wanted Joshua to be part of the story. And I've always wondered why. And this is why I believe he did. Because A, God is a relational God. And B, when we're part of the story, it builds our faith for the things that we don't yet see. Because if everything you showed up to was done for you, you would never have to believe God for things that is not done. But when you roll up into a situation, parenthood, marriage, uh, work cutbacks, food prices going up. I mean, you can name a million things. When you roll into a situation that you're not prepared for, when you've been there before with God, you can handle it with the next one with God. You know what I'm saying? And so God's like, I want you to be part of this. I want this to be a partnership. Jump to verse six. Verses six and seven. So Joshua called together the priests and said, take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. Joshua had to have a meeting with the priests. Why? Because priests don't go to battle. So I, you know, you wouldn't it be fun to know what that was like? Hey, can I talk to you guys for a second? I brought you some cinnamon rolls and the good coffee. Now, we're gonna do something a little different <laughs> and you're gonna love it, you're gonna love it. He's trying to sell them on this. You're, you and, and I love your priestly outfit. That's so holy, I love it. You know, like you guys are gonna go to battle with us. And not only are you gonna go to battle, the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God is what we've protected and cared for, we're gonna take that with us. Who knows what that was like? But the Bible says that he met with them separate. Strategy, smart. He didn't wait. I'm gonna tell you, there is nothing more awkward than finding out something that you should have found out privately in a public setting. It's wrong. He, he dealt with them privately. He said, here's what we're gonna do. And then the ark. Here's what, I, maybe this doesn't like, click with you, but let me explain. Where you go, the presence of God goes with you because the presence of God is inside of you. During this day and time, the presence of God was in the Ark of the Covenant. And so they had to, and if you touched it, you died. They had to protect this thing. This was God. This was God with them. But usually when battle happened, the priest would stay, protect. And now they've wandered through this wilderness and they have this Ark. And Joshua's like, hey, you're going to take it with you. And I wondered, and I thought about this, why was that significant? And here's what I believe. I believe that Israel had to keep their hearts and minds on the Lord who was with them instead of putting their hearts and minds on the difficulty of the task in front of them. Because God was asking them to do something that they hadn't done. How amazing was it that when they were doing what they were doing, they could look and see the presence of God there. They kept it in the middle. Because we know this task was weird. They're marching around a city. No one's talking. No one's doing anything. Then he had to explain to the people what was happening because, again, it was unusual. This was not a normal way to conquer a walled, fortified city. And Joshua knew that. I guarantee the people knew that. God knew that. But God saw what everyone didn't see. He had a plan. And he said, you've just got to trust my timing. Verses eight through 14. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horn started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched. And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns and some behind the ark, with the priests continually blowing the horns. 
Do not shout, do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night at the camp. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priest again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched both in front of the priest with horns behind the ark of the Lord. All of this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, again, they marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. They're armed, but they're vulnerable. They're armed, but they're exposed. They have trumpets blaring. Here we are. We're right here. And nobody's talking. Nobody's saying anything. And I think that this is something that we can get from this is that Joshua doesn't hesitate to do exactly what the Lord asked him to do when the Lord asked him to do it and how the Lord asked him to do it. I hate to admit this, but sometimes I'm all about doing what God asked me to do, but I want to do it my way. And I think that if he would let me show him, we've got, I've got a really good plan. And we even get to stop for snacks. <laughs> like, hey, I hear what you're saying, God. Hear me on this, though. I think that this is a really good idea. What I'm learning is oftentimes our delays in obedience show a lack of faith in God. It's not a lack in faith. It's not a lack in believing in God. It's a lack of faith in God. Let me help you understand this. I talk a big game that I want to jump out of an airplane. I talk about it all the time from the ground. All the time. I might do it like six or seven times. I don't know. Guess what? The minute you put me on a plane and fly me up in the air and you open that door, guess who's not jumping? <laughs> guess who you're going to have to push? Why? Because I don't believe. Now, I know people have jumped. I have lots of friends. That's what they do. They like stuff like that. They jump out of planes and they make it to the ground. But in that, that moment, all of a sudden, I don't necessarily have the faith that I'm going to make it. You can believe that God is good. You can believe that he's real. You can believe that he's going to come back for his church. You can believe that when you die, you go to heaven. But you've got to believe when he's asking you to do something with the life he's given you now, you're required to move on that. We don't get to get saved and hide in the vacuum closet. We have to move when he tells us to move. And when we stop, and you may be holier and better at this than me, but I'm going to tell you, there's things sometimes that I hesitate. I'm like, oh, maybe he'll change his mind. Maybe that's not what he meant. Maybe he needs another cup of coffee. <laughs> but when God asks us to do something, your reaction, my reaction, shows where we're at in our faith. Joshua did not hesitate. God gave Joshua, and Joshua gave the detailed instructions on the timing. And he said, don't even say a word. He's telling all these people, I'm going to put you out. No, God's going to put you out where you're exposed, but you don't get to talk about it. You don't get to talk to each other. You don't get to process out loud. I'm a verbal processor. That would have killed me. You don't get to talk about it. You just got to move. And the people of Jericho, have you thought about this one? No doubt were intrigued by this. Because they're up on this wall. That first day had to freak them out. They're here. Wow, what are they doing? Why are the priests here? What is that box? Nobody's saying anything. They're not drawing their swords. They just left. That was weird. Day two. Oh, they're back. But by day three and four, they're like, these people are weird. But there had to have been, so they might have been intrigued. They might have been afraid. They might have been humored. You might, they, the Israelites might have looked up, and there might have been people on the wall of Jericho like this watching them. Hey, get me a sandwich real quick. They're still here. They're watching all this happen. I want you to understand something. Like, if you get this, it'll change your life. God calls us to do things that don't always make sense. The enemy's watching. And the enemy mocks. The enemy doesn't understand. But the enemy also uses his words to get in your head. And when you're talking back to the enemy, you can't hear God talking to you. He said, be quiet. Shut your mouth. 
Don't do anything until I tell you to do it. Imagine the emotions of Israel during those six days. I told you guys I'm a verbal processor. Do you know I, when things get awkward, and this is awful, don't put me in awkward situations, I say really dumb stuff. But when things get awkward, I'm like, do you know one time when I was five, I hid in a Coke and I, in a vacuum closet and I didn't have teeth and I scared my mom. And then one time like, Amber, shh, shh, shh. He said, you can't talk. There was no, look at this wall. Wow, we should hire them to build that thing we're wanting to do in the backyard. So nice. There's no, this is scary. There's no, why are we doing this? You think Joshua's lost his mind? I think he might've lost his mind. Maybe he wasn't ready to take over for Moses. There was no discussion. It was marching. But can you imagine the emotions? Because what happens when you can't talk, when I can't talk, we think. And what does the Bible say is here, the battlefield. Like this, is, this will change your life if you get this. I'm telling you, it's rocked my world. So they have all this time marching around a city with their thoughts. But what I think is so cool, when they look up what's in front of them, the presence of God. The presence of God is right there in the middle. Jump to 15 and 16. We'll close the scriptures out and then we're gonna talk about it. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast of their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. This had to have become monotonous. We're doing this again? One more time? They've done the same thing for six days and now we're gonna do it seven times a day? What does tomorrow look like? I didn't sign up for this. I don't know about all of this. But the reality is they knew they had signed up to follow God. But they didn't, hear me, hear me on this, they didn't know the plan. Remember, God told Joshua, he didn't tell them. And so they were blindly obeying, trusting a process that they didn't have control of. And it had to have been weird. And anticipation, it causes all kinds of feelings and emotions, doesn't it? When our kids were little, we went to Cracker Barrel. And I don't know what it is about that little store in the front. I get home, I'm like, I'm not going to use any of this stuff. Why did I buy it? But you're in there, you're like, I can't live without this thing. And some pancakes. So we're in there and Phil buys a jack-in-the-box. Our kids are little. He's like, this is going to be fun. So we come home and they're sitting there and they're looking like, what is it, daddy? And he goes to cranking it. And that first time it pops up, they weren't expecting that. They were like, oh. So he shoves that head thing back down in there, that little clown thing, puts the lid back down. It starts going again. What well, starts getting wound tight? And both of my kids' faces are like. <laughs> and then like it wouldn't happen. They'd lean in and they'd go. And then it would pop and they would giggle. Do it again, daddy, do it again. Shove the clown back down in there. And then they're like. And it makes me laugh. And I read this quote from Alfred Hitchcock of all people that says, there is no terror in the bang, only in the anticipation of it. The reality is we know it's coming. We know God's gonna do something. We know he does, he's not falling asleep. He hasn't forgotten us. We, you can say, well, I know the end. We win, we go to heaven. But it's the bang we're not prepared for. The steps in the process of how we get there. And we overthink it. If you're anything like me, you come up with all kinds of scenarios that probably will never happen, but in your mind, you're like, and then there could be a zombie apocalypse because I saw a TV show one time. I don't know, but maybe. And what about, and we begin to build these cases in our brains and we fear the unknown. And at the same time, we know that there is a known and we can't just dwell on what we do know. We get caught up in what we don't know. So let's talk about what would have happened if they would have decided to go rogue and worship God earlier. What if day one, they were like, well, that was different. Okay, day two, they're like, okay. Day three, they're like, look, 
Joshua has lost his mind. We're going to get in there and we're going to just take the city. What if? What if when Joshua shouted, they were like, hey, we've really enjoyed these laps. We're getting our steps in. We've not been in danger. We like it. Let us go two more times. Then we'll attack. Both scenarios would have made them complete open and the enemy would have destroyed them. Because although they were in plain sight, obedience to God was their protection. Obedience to do what God's asking them to do. And you can say, well, things happen in my life that are bad sometimes. Friend, I'm not telling you that life doesn't happen. I'm not telling you that the moment you give your heart to Jesus, you're in the bubble, you're a bubble boy floating around the world and nothing happens. I'm telling you that whatever's coming that God's asking you to do, when you're obedient to that, his timing will allow that to be accomplished. The Bible doesn't say that when they went over the city that they didn't scratch their knee on the wall. It says they defeated. Like we have this idea that in the battles of life, that God, God, the battle belongs to the Lord, but that the battle's gonna happen and nothing's gonna happen to us. You know, Psalms 91 talks about a thousand fall at my side, 10,000 at my right hand. You're gonna tell me that if a thousand fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, that you're not gonna have some dust and blood on you when you walk out? Are you gonna tell me that God is putting you in a safe place and that the whole bad world and the boogeyman and all the things out there that God's just protecting you and then he's gonna come back and you get to come out of that vacuum closet? If that's what you think, I love you enough right now to tell you this. You are here. I am here for such a time as this. And there's a world that needs Jesus. There's a world that needs truth. There's a world that needs to understand that our safety, our ability does not rise or fall on whoever's in office, but that the battle belongs to the Lord. And God, just like Joshua, wants to use you and I to do it. He wants us to be part of this early or late. So you say, what does that have to do with me? We're not in a battle. Let me tell you what it has to do with you. I believe wholeheartedly. You can take everything that's happening in our world. Now, I'm not gonna get political because I'm not political. But you can take everything that's happening in our world, put that aside. And look at, some of you guys, you've got kids that, grown kids that don't know the Lord and you're, you're worried about it. You've got estranged relationships in your family. You've got situations happening in work and you need a raise or you need God to open a new door. You know, some of you know God's opening a new door and it's the fear of change. Some of you, your marriages are on the rocks and one of you is believing God and the other one is checking out. There, I could go through a billion different situations and the reality is we all have a war in front of us. But we have to decide, how do I operate through this? So I've got five questions to ask you. Number one, are you allowing God to lead you? There is a difference between believing in God and allowing him to lead you. The devil believes in God. Well, I believe God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and I, because I believe that I'm gonna go to heaven. Cool, but you're here right now. Are you letting him lead you? Are you allowing him to be in your mix? Number two, are you willing to trust a process that may not make sense? Here's where I struggle. If it's something I'm used to, I'm like, yeah, I'm down with this. But all of a sudden, if we go off-road, I have questions. And I don't necessarily have to be in control. I just want to know what's about to happen. But you know what? Our need to understand, oftentimes it's because, what did I say? We don't fully trust God in the process. This question is as much for me. Like I'm telling you, I'm working through this stuff myself. Can I trust God with the things I don't understand? Am I trusting God with the things that I don't have control of? Number three, do you keep God in the middle of the task, battle or season? Another thing, I'm bad. I'm good at like getting him in on the beginning. And then what happens? We get comfortable. You know what I'm saying? We get comfortable like, okay, I'll take it from here. I got this. 
And so we get busy doing, we stop getting him involved. I've had to because of how I'm wired. Because here's what I know. You may not see it in me, but I know it. I know the days that I'm not spending time with the Lord. I know because I'm anxious. I deal with fear. I have zero patience. And so what do I do? I have to know that if I want God to be the center of whatever it is he's doing in my life, I have to start my day off with him. Holy Spirit, I invite you into my day. And you know, I don't spend four hours reading the Bible, but whatever I'm reading, I find ways in the day to go back to it. If I'm, if I'm reading a story, I'll read it in a different translation another time. And because of how I'm wired, because I do get distracted very easy, I have built this thing into, this habit into where whatever it is I'm studying, I'll find somebody to talk to them about it. It's great conversation, it builds relationship, but it also puts that right back in front of me. We're good about saying, okay, I'll do this, God. And then we forget to say, oh, wait, you're with me in this. You're right there with me. You go with me. I'm not alone in this. And so I challenge you, if you're not sure of that answer, start tomorrow, start today. But of course, in the morning, tomorrow morning, go, wow, I've got a new day. That means, God, you're not done with me. That means there's something I'm supposed to accomplish today. Holy Spirit, I invite you into my day. I invite you into my circumstances. You may be the only person in your home believing God to be involved, but all he needs is you. All he needs is your obedience. You can struggle with addiction. You can struggle with all kinds of things. You allow God to get involved in that. That struggle becomes his struggle. And you don't struggle by yourself anymore. Number four, do you wait on his timing? This is a hard one because what do we do? We talk. We're not listening. Well, I wonder, maybe he forgot. You know, maybe God called us here and then he forgot he called us here and I'm ready to go and he hasn't called me. And like, what if, you know, if you'll be quiet, maybe you'll listen and hear what he's saying. People ask me all the time, well, how, how do you, students, I love students because students are just, they're what you see is what you get. That's why they're my favorite human beings in the world. They're like, you want to know the truth? I'm like, whether I do or not, you're about to give it to me, aren't you? Yes, I am. How do you know when you're following God's lead? Number five, when there is peace. When there is peace. And I know that sounds so spiritual and super out there, and I'm going to make it super simple for you. Every single one of us have been in a situation where we had to make a decision, and there was options. There might have been something that in your brain made more sense. It looked like a better opportunity. It had more benefits. But you, it made you sick in your stomach. Are you following me? But then staying with this over here, less benefits, same situation, but not sick in your stomach. That's called peace. You follow peace. And I'm going to tell you something. If you do everything by what's in your brain, what you've been thinking, what's part of the five-year plan, your plan or God's plan, that's what you got to figure out. Well, this is what I've always wanted. Okay, but if it's stressing you out, if it's causing division in home, if you're losing sleep, if the people in your inner circle aren't buying into what you're selling, and if you don't have an inner circle, that's part of your problem too. You have to have people to speak truth into your life. But if it's not gelling, no matter how good it looks, if there's not peace, God's not in it. And I want to tell you something. God's not going to tell you to do anything today that doesn't line up with his word. He does not contradict himself. He is not a man that he should lie, scripture says. If his word says, don't kill, and you have justified reason to take your neighbor out, I'm going to tell you God's not in that. God is not going to tell you to do anything that goes against his word Philippians 4, 7 says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's what I want you to get. As you and I leave this place today and we go lunch, whatever you're doing, you're gonna have opportunities, just like me, to overthink some things. We, look, we can look at our, I can say right now, every single one of you has a situation right now, boom, you know what that is. 
Maybe your spouse doesn't even know what that battle is, but you know in your mind. You know what you're feeling. Some of you are like, I'm waiting on a spouse. There's my battle. Okay. I don't want the spouse I got. There's my battle. We need to work on that. (laughs) Here's the reality. Whatever you're facing, God already sees it. What's happening in our nation? I'm gonna, I'm gonna upset some people here. I'm your friend and I love you and maybe you probably need to hear what I have to say. And if you don't like it, I'm not preaching next week so you'll be all right. <laughs> we need to do our part. But once we do our part, we need to let God do his part. There's people in this room right now and people online. You spend all this time researching the backstory of these political leaders because you got to know this information. And I'm not patronizing you by asking this. What are you going to do with it? Why well, I know about the president's third cousin twice removed. Ooh, let me take a seat. <laughs> you don't have to like or dislike to do what the Word of God says and pray for our leaders. And I will tell you, yes, we need to do our part. Yes, we need to fight for those who can't fight for themselves. Yes, we need to speak for those without a voice. Yes, we need to be thankful for the people who have given you the voice you've had because they fought for your freedom. Yes, we need to do those things. Yes, we need to move forward. But we need to, you need a question. You need to ask yourself, if you don't like this, hear my heart. If your peace comes from whatever color is on that map, or if it leaves because of whatever color is on that map, Your faith is in man and not in God. Well, I don't like what you're saying. I'm going to sleep okay tonight. Because it's truth. And we've been there. And the last time I checked, there's all kinds of stories in the Bible where there were evil, evil, evil men leading and God still did what he was going to do. I've also seen when there's been godly men leading and men mess things up. So I challenge you where you're at. If you're one of those people, and this is out of all the love in the world, if you are so caught up in fear of the what ifs that's happening in our nation, I wanna encourage you to take a break from social media. I'm not being funny, I'm being serious. Take a break and get yourself lined up with truth. God, this is what's happening. What do you want me to do about it? And then tell me when to do it. I didn't share this the other two services, but I'm gonna share it right now. I have friends that vote different than me, and guess what? We can sit and have coffee and agree to disagree, and we're still friends. (laughs) Novel concept right there. But you know what makes it cool? Is when you can have healthy conversation. You don't go in with the answer. You go in with open ears listening. And I'm gonna tell you something. The coolest things have happened in those moments because my posture has been one of being open. I had a friend that was very, 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 very different than me, politically, opinions. And we started talking and you know what? It went from that to talking about how her mom just got diagnosed with cancer. And in that moment, in that coffee shop, my friend who hadn't prayed since she was in high school, prayed with me for her mama. Who cares who's president? God got involved. Who cares who's governor? God got involved. Who cares? Elephant, donkey, grasshopper, whatever. Like God is in the middle of it and he's in the middle of it with you and he's in the middle of it with me. And I'm not telling you not to do your part. I'm telling you the enemy would love to get you caught up in what you don't have control of and take your focus off on who has control. Nowhere has God called us to try to figure out the backstory. He's told us to do our part and trust him with the story. He's got you. He's got you, he sees you, he knows your name. He knows the circumstances that you're facing. He knows the kind of dad, the kind of husband, the kind of mom, the kind of wife, the kind of kid, the kind of person that's pursuing marriage someday. He knows what you're believing for. He knows the dreams that are in your heart. He knows the job that you feel stuck in. He knows what you need financially. Mama, listen to me. He knows what the price is. A peanut butter have gone up. I'm gonna tell you something, be real in front of your kids. Let them see the God that knows. Wow, Jiffy's $2 more a jar. 
we're gonna have to cut back on a little bit of peanut butter, but you know what? God's got this, throw it in the cart. It's learning to not pretend like you have it all together because you don't, I don't, we don't, but he does. And so when he tells us to march, we can march. When he tells us to shut our mouth, we can shut our mouth. And when he says, now shout because I'm giving it to you, we can be bold in our confidence to go, God, you've got this. What happens when we walk in a broken world full of confidence and they're laughing? Look at them just walking. They got, why they got Pastor Randy out there? What's he doing out there? How's he going to fight? He don't even got fingers. <laughs> what are they doing? How, what is, they're just, they're just praising God. What are, what's happening? I'm going to tell you something. It'll catch people's attention. It'll throw the enemy off. And when God says go, nothing, nothing, nothing can stop the go. Bow your heads with me all across this room. Some of y'all gotta forgive me because you're still mad at me because I said what I said, but I said what I said and I'm not gonna take it back. <laughs> There's an altar up here. You can work that out with Jesus. <laughs> But where you're at right now, I want to tell you something, friend. You may you have never seen me before. You may not ever see me again. I don't know. But I'll tell you that I want more than anything to know that we get to spend eternity together in heaven. And if where you're sitting right now, if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, if you're online with us and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, I beg of you to examine your heart and make that decision. If that's you, and you know that you need to make Jesus Lord of your life, it's the most important decision you will ever make, and I would love to pray with you. Will you raise your hand so I can pray with you if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life? Anybody here? Okay. Since we're all family now, I'm gonna ask a question. Oh, we got a hand. I see, oh, I see that hand. Can you come up here so I can pray with you? That is the cutest hand. I'm so sorry, I almost just moved on. Come on up here, darling. Yeah. You have cool hair. What is your name? Travis. Travis, you like dinosaurs? Mm -hmm. I do too. Travis, do you know that Jesus loves you so much? How old are you? Nine. Nine, that's a big, that's a big, day. That's a big age. You're almost 10, that's both hands, right? Yeah, okay. You know Jesus died for you? You know that? Do you know that he sees you, Travis, that he has such an amazing plan for your life? And that right now at nine years old, in your cool hair and cool dinosaur shirt, he wants to be the Lord of your life and he can use you to reach your family and your friends. You can go into school tomorrow and you can be the light that that school needs. Do you know that? Where do you go to school? It's a great school. You want to give your heart to Jesus right now? Can we do that together? All these people are going to pray together. Can I hold your hands? All right. We're going to pray together. You're going to repeat after me. This is not a magic prayer. But the Bible says that if you believe it in your heart, which you just said you did, and you say it with your mouth, that God will forgive you of all your sins. And Travis, everything changes from this point on. You know that? It's really cool. So that means that whatever goes on at school, whatever goes on at home, Jesus is with you. And you can talk to him anytime. Okay? So I want you to repeat after me. We all pray with us, please. Dear Jesus, Jesus, thank you, thank you for coming to this earth, this earth and dying on the cross for my sins. And dying on the cross for our sins. Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. Clean my heart. Clean my heart. Cleans my mind. Cleans my mind. And Jesus, and Jesus, help me to live for you. Help me to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That I belong to you. And you have a plan for my life. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. To obey. To obey. To follow you. To follow you. And do what you ask of me. And do what you ask of me. I want to make a difference in this world. I want to make a difference in this world. And spend eternity with you. And spend eternity with you. I give my life to you, Jesus. I give my life to you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Travis, can I hug you? Is that real? Is that okay? Oh. Hmm. I'm proud of you.
There are these beautiful ladies over here. They want to pray with you, and they've got some. They got to give them information, okay? If you don't know the information, ask your parents, okay? Don't just walk away. Get them the right information. All right? Y'all give Travis a hand. Now, for the rest of us, will you stand? Close your eyes real quick, if you will. Let's just be real transparent with ourselves. If you're in here and you say, I need to do better waiting on God's timing. I get ahead of the game or I don't play the game. Or I get frustrated or I get mad or I point the finger. If that's you, just just raise your hand right where you're at. Me too, me too. Let's pray. Here's what I can promise you, every single one of you, within the sound of my voice, those of you online, those of you here, God sees your heart. And when we want to get it right, when we want to do it right, we look for him and the Bible says we find him if we seek him. Jesus, we come to you right now. We thank you so much for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to carry on around a box hoping that you're with us. Thank you, God, that you're with us every day that we can talk to you anytime, all the time. Thank you for the men in this room that lead in this community and in their families. Thank you for the women in this room, Lord, that are training up the next generation. Thank you, Lord, for the single people who are not willing to compromise and settle, but they're waiting for the best that you have. Thank you, Lord, for the teens and the kids that will flip this generation upside down for you. Lord, help us, help us to not take matters into our own hands, but to lean on you, as scripture says, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, help us to follow peace. Help us to have patience in the process. Thank you, Jesus, that the plan has already been made. And thank you for wanting us to be part of that. Lord, I thank you that regardless of what's happening in this world, scripture says it's gonna, there's gonna be bad things, but it also says there's gonna be a move of you like never before. And Lord, I pray that this body right now, that this church would position themselves to be part of that move. God, I thank you. It does not matter what happens to the left or the right. It doesn't matter what the internet says. It doesn't matter what the news says because God, you are in control. Help us to do what we can do and what we can't do, Lord. Help us to put it in your hands, to stop worrying about it, stop debating about it. And God, help us to stop getting our opinions from people who don't know the plan. Thank you, God, that we wait on your lead, wait on your voice, wait on your direction. And Jesus, when you speak, we say yes. Thank you, Lord, that you're gonna give us the city. You're gonna give us the state. Lord, you're gonna do in us exactly what you want to do. Help us to not get in the way of that. We love you and thank you so much for your goodness, your faithfulness, and your love. In your precious name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Listen, we got prayer team up here. If you're going through it, you need to talk it out. You've got to process some things or you just need to pray about something. Please come talk to them. Do not do life alone. Enjoy this cold weather. We love you. You are dismissed. <laughs>